It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we, we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. Hi, this is Dave Menard with CT Startup, and with me today is Ben Trout. And Ben, Ben is an expert uh, and provides consulting services to companies regarding ISO rules, the International Standards Organization, and how they apply to companies in the U.S. And as Ben and I have discussed in the past, I think this is an area in which people, um, it affects a lot of companies. Some of them don't even know it affects them. Some know that it's something they have to comply with or they want to comply with, rather, but they don't understand how it gets done and it can affect companies from a relatively early stage. So I thought we'd have Ben on today to come and talk to us. How's it going, Ben? Uh, it's going really well. And thank you very much for having me on uh, the podcast here. And I think that this is a topic that definitely deserves more discussion and information about it because the more information people have, the more empowered they become and can essentially compete globally uh, in what has really been a uh, you know, competitive global marketplace. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company first? Uh, sure. Uh, so I run ISOPRO, and ISOPRO is a company that is designed to implement, maintain, and leverage quality systems for small businesses. Focuses on ISO 9001, AS9100, and ISO 1345. Uh, and a lot of times what my company is in charge of doing is 
when there's a reason that a company is looking at becoming ISO certified, and that's a general term in the industry, typically it means you have to be required to be ISO 9001 or AS is the aerospace, ISO 1345 is the medical, that a lot of companies don't know what that actually means. And the, my company helps take the practices already in place at a business, translate them to these standards so that they show that they're compliant to it, tweak anything that kind of needs it along the way, and then at the same time, make their system more effective as a business tool so that they get really what they get at the end of it is they get a certification that they need to meet a requirement on. Their business has better systems to run on. And then there's, you know, I offer essentially a worry-free service to help maintain it so that you don't have a risk of losing it in the near future. Um, and that potentially put your company or the financials at risk that you may, you know, there's typically a reason you went into it and we don't want you to have to worry about that reason. So let's take a step back. Well, you know, I think a lot of people in our audience are not even going to know really what ISO is and whether or not something they need to be concerned about. So what one is ISO and in how, you know, what kinds of companies should be thinking about? It? Right. Uh, so it's actually a really good point. Uh, most people, when they talk about ISO, um, ISO actually isn't really much of anything. Um, ISO is actually the organization that creates all these standards. Uh, the crazy part is that ISO, the people who make all these standards, and they're across internationally, they're every part of the business that you can talk about. When someone says, I am ISO, or I need to be ISO, what they're actually referring to is the ISO 9001 standard. Um, the ISO 9001 standard is kind of the, the, the core of a lot of these standards, um, and there's, there's different branches. But this ISO 9001 standard is really intended to be a list of requirements that your business must consider when it's doing business. And what does that mean? Many, many years ago in the industry, and it started in manufacturing first, there were you know, some of the top suppliers or some of the top companies were saying, how do I make sure my suppliers are reliable? How do I make sure I can trust these guys are going to do what they say they're going to do? And what they came up with is they developed a list of what they considered basic, like not even best practices, but you, you know, industry practices that you must consider. And then if you don't have anything in place to consider for these things, you're probably going to run into trouble. And that trouble will affect your business in some way, shape or form. And their idea was to help, help you um, have something in place. So when it occurred, you at least had something to fall back on. And so that's the origin of ISO. It, it very started out as much of a, a documentation heavy system. Um, and right now it's really, if you think about it, um, I try to explain it as the goal of getting ISO certified is really trying to get like a certificate of trust. So that is why companies want you to be ISO certified. And typically it's when businesses are buying from businesses. So if I want to buy, you know, if you go, if you, you know, every day or for the past, you know, 50 years, you know, you've always gone down to the hardware store and you always buy 30 washers, right? You know that Joe at the hardware store is going to sell you washers and they're going to work and you're fine. Okay. No problem. But now when you get to the point where you're a larger company or you're buying larger quantities, you know, you don't want to buy five washers. You want to buy 5 million washers. Well, I wouldn't go to that where that I wouldn't go to the hardware store for that. I would go to another company for that. Well, if you're going to place an order for 5 million washers and let's say they're on sale, it's only a dollar each. 
you're not going to place a purchase order for $5 million unless you are confident that that customer, that your vendor, your supplier, your whoever you're buying it from is going to say, absolutely. We know we can make them. We know we can get them to you on time. They're going to meet all your requirements. You're not going to be surprised at the end of the day. That's where a lot of this requirements come. So ISO is really intended to provide a common framework between all countries. The, the standards are translated um, internationally. Um, and it, again, it's the, the very basic framework that it tells you what you need to do in your business. And to be very clear, it in no way dictates how. Uh, and so those are the typical requirements that companies are coming up with in the industry. If you deal with business to business, you probably see it more frequently. If you're in business to consumer, consumers don't necessarily care that a company is ISO certified. And because the consumer demand's not there, there's not the, you know, the requirement, you know, of those companies to be there. So typically that's where machine shops will see it more frequently, especially as you start getting larger orders, larger vendors, larger customers, uh, those type of things as they're developing in the industry. So what kind of companies does this largely affect? I mean, obviously it seems like it affects physical good producers. What, what about, I mean, you talk about machine shops, what about people who provide services? If, yep. at, if I turn steel, is that important? If I uh, develop software for other companies, is that important? Correct. Um, so th the answer is multifold. Um, and I'll try to answer it as best as I can. In short, the ISO standards are developed and designed by the ISO organization to be applicable to any company in any industry, in any way, at any time, by anybody. ISO is, is creating a business. They are selling not only, the, not only the documents that you need to buy, but they are also selling you the, all the ancillary services to come in there and to certify your company and to stay registered and all these things. Basically, the rights to say that you are certified. There's a whole lot of um, intellectual rights that they are maintaining. So <clears throat> what they've done is that they have tried to expand their business and their services are applicable in both the goods industry and the service industries. And they are specifically targeting the service industries because that's less commonly used. It's more normal um, in just day-to-day -day life that you experience this when people are placing large orders for something that they're going to get. Um, so it's more common to see ISO requirements when you're buying widgets, when you're buying parts, when you're buying components, when your customers are buying parts from you. That's typically where you see them. Those standards and expectations are typically driven by, I would say, like the end customer, okay? And a lot of times that's whatever industry you're in, right? So if you're in aerospace, the primes, the, you know, the, the Raytheons, the um, GE Aviations, they're flowing all these requirements down through their supply chain so that they're basically saying more and more and more of the entire chain has to have these things. So what used to be very specific to products was, you know, widgets manufacturing is now very much involved in also, you know, service, especially related to products, heat treating, plating, all those type of services. And it's extending into the purely service-based um, commodities. Um, although there's a shift because there's a question around what's actually required versus what's basically what's being flowed down and what's value added. And that's part of the conversation that I'm trying to have with people is to tell, is to answer the question, do you actually need to be certified? 
And there are some very good reasons to be certified. Um, I'm biased. I have a, there's a lot of really good things it can do for you. I will also tell you not every company should do it and not every company would benefit from it. Um, and so there are times when you really need to understand about when are people just asking and when are people demanding. Um, and those will shape the, the path that you take with your business going forward. Now, it's very important to realize the difference between those. So if a, uh, so it sounds like commonly a, another business might ask, if I have a uh, company that manufactures something and I'm a subcontractor, the prime contractor might ask me to be ISO certified or ask if I am ISO certified before they buy from me. What about the government? Does the government require companies to be ISO certified? Uh, so the answer, is, well, uh, I'm going to answer this slightly differently. Um, well, actually, let me ask the direct question first. Um, the answer is it depends. The answer is that in a lot of industries, there are certain companies that are blanket requiring all vendors to be ISO certified. And to be honest, that is a large portion of why people reach out to me. And that what it really looks like in their world day to day is their customer or potential customer calls them up and says, I would like to order from you. In order for me to give you this purchase order, by the way, here it is, it's ready for you. You need to be ISO certified. And that company is saying, well, I really didn't know if I wanted to be ISO certified, but I definitely want that business. So the question is, is it worth becoming ISO certified? And a lot of small um, uh, manufacturers reach a tipping point where they, what they will eventually have is either one customer with a really big purchase order or contract that is saying, well, it's definitely worth it. Or typically a lot of small requests that you know they're, they're suddenly realizing, hey, wait, we're missing out on opportunities. And that's why we need to be in this. In particular, those requirements are typically industry-based. So in aerospace, yeah, you pretty much got to be required. In general industry, it's really about who your big customers are. And as far as the government specifically, the government does not specifically require that you are ISO certified unless they flow it down to you in a, like essentially a PO condition. And I've actually been part of companies where that's why we implemented ISO is that it was a multi-million dollar deal. And one of the stipulations was you must be, in this particular case, it was ISO 9001 compliant. And compliant and certified mean two technically different things, although the result is very similar in your organization. Um, but those can be flowed down. And typically, it's the size of the contract that will dictate how much they put into theirs. And it's the same as anything else going from a mom and pop like interaction where you know, you know again, you already developed trust into a larger risk, right? Typically, risk is proportional to the amount of revenue or the value of the purchase order. So when the, when the values get higher, they want more assurance that you're going to be able to deliver what you want. And the way that they do that is they put stipulations in ISO 9001. And there's, there's a whole host of other things that they can flow down to you, but that's one of the more common ones. So governments don't necessarily require it. If your contract's big enough, it's pretty likely it's in there somehow. And I just want to be clear that the government has a unique way of handling this. So you can either be ISO compliant, and then they'll come in and do a certification check on you. Um, and that organization that controls that is called DCMA. And I've personally dealt with DCMA, and they have a slightly different process than the ISO 9001 group as they handle it. 
when you are certified to ISO 9001, it's the same thing. It just depends who you want coming in to certify it. And if you have some already another company coming in and registering you and saying, yeah, they meet everything. We come in and we check them. We check them every year. A lot of times the government would just say, well, give me your cert. That's all I need to see. So if you, again, if the business you're going to get into and you know that's going to come in, that's where it makes a lot of sense to go ISO certified. If it's one part, your shop, maybe, you know, maybe you're not really ready to be certified, but the government's like, man, we really need you, you know, to do a portion of this. It may make more sense to go through the, you know, the DCMA audits process. So when in our prior conversations, you have uh, told me that there's a difference in cert in certifications. Yes. That uh, sometimes it's just a piece of paper and sometimes it means more and it depends on what kind of companies you're using. Why don't you tell everybody about that? Are, are we talking about like how much it benefits your business or what the actual certificate validity is worth? What of? the actual validity of the certificate okay. is. All right. So in current day, um, it's actually very important to, to realize this. Um, most of the requirements for ISO 9001 come from companies or organizations that do not understand what it actually means for ISO 9001 certification. To be ISO 9001 certified implies that you took the ISO 9001 standard, you reviewed it to your organization, you implemented everything, and you're compliant in every piece of it. The most rigorous requirement of that and what is expected, although it is very rarely, if ever, explicitly defined, is that ISO 9001 is, is created by this government or this organization called ISO. They then take that information and it is governed by an international task force named IAF. IAF makes agreements in each country of who's going to oversee the implementation of that standard in that country. Okay. So in the United States, that is ANAB is the company who's responsible. Within that country, all of that body then takes registrars to be like the police that come in to make sure you're doing something. So those are the, the registrars that we see on a you know, regular basis that actually certify your company. Other uh, companies like Intertech and DECRA and BSI and ASR, and there's a lot of other ones out there. I think there's like 46 approved registrars in the United States that can do you know, these standards. What's very important though, is that these registrars go up through this chain through what's called the memorandum of understanding between all basically people who are creating the standard and their agreement globally about who's allowed, you know, who's part of the group that says, yes, this is the right way to do it. Okay. That is typically what you, if someone says, are you ISO 9001 registered? That's what they're referring to, or that's what they're implying. However, there are other companies that say, you know what? I see all those rules. I don't necessarily agree with this part of the rule and I can't change how it's being done. It's managed by one body. They don't, they refuse to change. So I'm going to create my own system for doing this. Okay. And it really depends on what the purpose of your ISO 9001 certification is. If your whole purpose is to take that standard and implement it and make it better for your business, then you can go kind of outside of that established process with a huge risk that if anyone ever says and give to me your certification and it doesn't follow up to this main kind of like global agreement that this is how we're going to do it, you might end up paying for stuff that does you no good whatsoever. Because globally, it doesn't tie to anything. It just ties to typically an organization that took their own interpretation, 
and in some cases very well intentioned, but without that global international reach, it loses a lot of the value. The reason it loses its value is because there's another group over here. <laughs> this group over here on the other side, on the far side, on the very outskirts, uh, it's kind of like the extremists in any organization type, whatever, there are what are called certificate mills, which basically say, ah, you want to be ISO certified? Lovely. Write me a check. I'll give you a cert. I don't need to see your site. I don't need to see your documents. We're good. And that is what the IAF organization is intended to mitigate. It's to say, you can't just say, sure, give me money and I'll give you a cert. And so that is what there, there's a lot of, I would say, like cracking down in the industry on this. But really what I caution people when they go into it is, it's really no different. I, I Certificate mills are a waste of time, a waste of money. It's really easy to spot them. It's not worth your time and effort to do that. You'll actually pay more in the long run. If you're going to go outside of the system, you're likely going to get tripped up at some point. I can't tell you when that is, and I can't tell you how bad it's going to be, but I can tell you I don't want to be there when it happens. So I always recommend that clients get into this, you know, kind of registered bodies across the board, across globally, because then it gives you more credibility. It allows you to send your cert internationally with no worry. You're fully, you're in the same group as someone from, you know, India, Indonesia, France, Germany. If they see the same path and some countries are much more diligent about making sure it's there, but then there's no problem. And if you don't have it, you could have a problem. Um, and so really it's about mitigating risk and the cost isn't that big a difference between them, uh, to be honest. Uh, certificate mills, different deal. Uh, it's cheap. They, you get what you pay for. Uh, and it really doesn't help you at all. So just to keep everybody on the edge of their seats, we will talk about cost a little bit later. But uh, I, I wanted to kind of go through the process first. What is it? I, I got two questions, um, and, and they're kind of tied together. So what is the certification process? Yep. And do companies see a benefit from certification outside of the certification itself? Does going through the process enhance a company's processes and value? The answer is yes, companies see a benefit as long as it's done in a way that helps the company. Um, <laughs> and this is where I actually have a, a little bit of a, you know, a different approach as far as when I work with these quality systems. What's important to realize is that the registration process is the same across the entire globe. Mm -hmm. Essentially, once you determine that you're going to pursue ISO 9001, you need to buy the standard, figure out what the heck they're even talking about. Two, you need to implement the systems that maintain compliance to ISO 9001. Uh, and it's not as complicated as it sounds, but I'm using the words that are in the standard because that, that's the process. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So you need to establish the processes and then you need to determine that they are effective in your organization. And then you essentially need to audit the processes and review the processes, okay? So those are all internal actions. You determine you're gonna go for it. You made sure you're doing something that looks like ISO is supposed to do. Then you made sure it actually works. You checked it, you made sure we're good. So at that point, we, we are called what's called ISO compliant, okay? I did everything, I checked everything. And if I didn't, I fixed it and I got to the point. And that's really where the certification process begins. Although when you make the decision to go forward with it, you can schedule this in advance and say, well, how much time do I need? 
That certification process is very simple. You have the option of having the registrar. So first of all, you need to choose a registrar. A registrar is the companies that come in and give you the certificate. They're the police of the standard. So you need to go out to them and say, hey, I want to be certified. When can I get you in here? Um, very important. Registrars right now have a scheduling issue. Uh, and this is fairly broad across many, many registrars I've worked with. They're not very good about scheduling. Uh, it's not a customer-centric business, which is really ironic. However, they're not. It isn't. That's what we deal with. So, so to be clear, you're not a registrar. You go in and you help the company become compliant so they can get registered. Correct. So when I go into a company, my job is to take all the worry off of the organization. So when we go through that process of you determine you're going to be ISO certified, right? Well, the question is, are you going to do it internally? You're going to get someone outside to help you. And so a lot of times people will turn to someone like myself and will say, I already know the standard. Um, by the way, when you get to the end, you're getting certified. It's an open book test. I already know what the test is. I already know what the answer should be. We're going to go ahead and make sure that we have everything prepped in advance. The partial of the difference is, and this gets into the value of how you implement the system, is that if you implement to get a cert, it looks very different than if you implement to get value as well as getting a cert. And that value is whatever uh, in the approach that I take is whatever is, is directly most valuable to the company at the time. And so what does that mean? Right? Nobody knows. Well, I can tell you that when I go into companies, you know, my goal is that to always figure out what is the president, the owner, the GM, whoever's in charge of the organization at, at that particular site, what are you trying to do? And that is very, very different from one company to the next. And you can have a system, an ISO 9001 system that's compliant, but actually doesn't do anything for the organization. Some organizations are make the most amount of money, profit. Above all, that's all I need, more money, right? Private equity firms, that's a really good example. You also have second generation family businesses. I'm passing it to my son. He's five. We got to go in for the long haul. Okay, fine. Sustainable growth, no surprises, conservative you know, design developments, that type of stuff, right? You know, and then you also got, you know, it's like, hey, I, I started the business in, um, you know, two years, I'm going to sell it. This is my retirement. And I want this to, you know, have the stamp of ISO on it. And I want it to mean more in the company. Okay. And then there's the kind of the, the last type is my business is growing. Okay. Typically when businesses hit around the five to $10 million a year mark in revenue, um, the business model has to change. It has to change from someone who is individually responsible, the owner, the president, the whatever, who's intimately involved, you know, probably micromanaging a lot of different things in the organization that you have to then delegate. But you can't delegate without having your fingers on the pulse. And by then, by establishing processes through your business, putting metrics on those business, you're trying to allow that top level person to step back and say, here's how I know it's still working correctly. And I'm not risking my customers at all, right? And so that's kind of the, the, those are all very different approaches as you go through an organization. And any one of those in particular is probably the leading reason why a company is doing it. And if you design a system that's a certification scheme to get through this, and you've got five choices there and you chose the wrong one, you're not gonna see the value out of it. You're paying for a certification. Well, along the path, if you have to do all the work and you implement in a way that says, hey, we have the certificate. And by the way, 
we now have systems so you know our president can finally go on vacation he hasn't been on in 10 years well that's really valuable okay great and that holds for some companies that's more valuable than whatever profit you could increase or more revenue you could drive but what you do is based upon how the company works and that is and that fundamental understanding um, is sometimes missing in the implementations of these programs, uh, you know, in the U.S. in particular. And a lot of clients that I have are, again, either one, have no direction um, and really appreciate that process. But what it does at the end is if you say, once you're done internally implementing those programs, you still have to get registered. And that registration still looks the same. But when you integrate it into the business, the certification basically says, look, we do you have the option of the registrars that can do a gap audit assessment, right? So if you did it on your own, it didn't have any help, they can say, yeah, well, you might not fully understand. So let us come in, let us make sure it still looks good. And then we'll tell you all the things that are wrong and then you're going to fix it, right? If you hired a consultant, you don't have to pay that cost. That's what the consultant's doing for you. So after that optional step, the first one is the stage one certification, which is one day documentation review. Do you have all your documents, all your required, you know, whatever it is, your, there, there's a whole slew of them. Uh, you have management reviews, internal audits, uh, work instructions, procedures, whatever you need to have. Does it look like ISO, smell like ISO? Do we think this company is even <laughs> worth coming in and actually looking at a little bit more in detail? And then they have the stage two certification. Well, that's, that's like what most people think of as a certification audit. Registrar comes in. On site, typically, the stage one could be remote, could be on site. It really doesn't matter. What the stage two is typically on site, minus COVID, which has been fun. Um, but they are looking for, okay, you showed me you have production documents. Bring me to the production floor. Show me how it runs. Show me how you use the documents you showed me. Show me how the operator knows how to do what they're supposed to do. Show me how when they make a bad part, what do you do with it? Where does it go? How do you follow up with it? How do you make sure the customer doesn't get it? Like the very specific pieces that are, you know, the basically the the proof that your systems that you showed them before work, and then at that point, uh, at the end of that, then they will either say, most likely they'll say, we'll re recommend you for certification. Although they can say, yeah, no, <laughs> try again, right? But if they say, okay, we recommend you for certification, there's really you know a couple different choices. One is, man, flying colors, you're good to go. We got to finish up our documents, but as soon as that goes through, you're getting a cert in the mail. You're good to go. And the other option is, and it depends on the registrar and the quality that you implemented with, is they may say, hey, it looks good. But you got a couple things you have to fix. Once you fix those, then we'll take it up. We'll tweak it up. And then again, you'll get the cert in the mail in a little bit longer time because then we got to fix it in addition to everything else. So that's, that's the basic implementation process and the certification process. So now let's get to the question that, uh, that no service provider ever wants to answer, uh, cost. Yep. So I understand uh, being, being a service provider myself that, you know, cost varies a lot, right? Depends on yes. your company, how many procedures you have in place, whether you've, you've even put any thought into this and then you know, how big the company is and all the various things going on. But is, is there a way to give somebody an idea of what they're getting into? Yes. Um, so the, the very basic part is that um, there's two separate costs to ISO 9001 certification. Um, so the first cost is variable, okay? So the first cost is 
what it actually costs you to implement your quality system. Okay. So that, in that case, that could be a consultant. Uh, when companies bring me in, um, you know, there's amount that they pay me and we'll get to that in a second. Um, and it also, you know, if they determine they're going to do it all internally. So a lot of companies have someone with ISO experience, you know, quality manager, quality supervisor, you know, their past experience, they send them up for training. You can do it internally, right? And it's important to realize that when you do this, there are, you're impacting three costs as you go through it, right? One is the amount that you spend, okay? Whatever, whatever that looks like. A consultant is a spend cost. Training is a spend cost, okay? Um, you know, paying for standards, paying for, you know, templates, paying for whatever. Those are spend costs. I, I spent it. The second is opportunity costs. So if you're going to do it yourself, then what are those people not doing? Okay. And that's pretty clear too. The third cost though, is something that I really caution people as I go into this is, is your opportunity cost, or it's not opportunity, but it's really your uh, potential cost that you're building into the system. A lot of companies, when they build these systems, they're making it so that in the future, someone has to manage this system. So you implement it, you got certified, but after that, you may have to go to the president and be like, well, we have to hire half a person just to do ISO. Maybe it could be a part-time as something else in their job. Maybe you have to hire someone just for that job. And, you know, therefore you've added whatever cost to the annual budget. Okay. And those are some things to keep in mind. Um, we'll get more to those in a second because they're related to the certification costs. The certification costs are, are fairly straightforward and they don't vary very much between registrars. So of all the options you have, uh, the most variable cost you'll have in the actual certification cost itself is travel. So if you can find a registrar with an auditor who is local, you will pay less than someone who has to fly them in from halfway across the country. It makes sense. Um, the standard daily rate for auditors really depends on the standard. In general, um, for ISO 9001, they charge a daily rate of $1,200 a day. For ISO AS9100 for the aerospace, and this is true for ISO uh, 1345, which is medical, and there's some other ones out there too, that they charge a little bit higher. Usually it's $1,350 a day, okay, it's 1350. The number of days that they show up and they, the certification cost is directly proportional to the number of employees you have in your facility. It also is to a lesser degree, uh, purport, uh, it, it takes into account the complexity of the system that you're designing. Okay. And again, employees are the primary driver in that, but also you can say, well, my organization, it, you know, it's really simple, right? I don't design anything. Well, then we don't have to be there as many days. Um, but generally that's how it works. And there is a table that these registrars have to use for established by IAF that tells them how many days do they need to be on site to make it work. And so I can tell you that pretty much based upon the number of employees you have and say, okay, here's, you know, here's the number of employees, here's the number of days about that your surveillance is or your initial certification is going to be. And also just to be aware of the certification schemes are for three years. The way that works is you get certified the first. And then after that first year, there's a surveillance one, and then a surveillance two the following year. And then those surveillance audits audit about half 
to a little bit more than a half of each of the standard in those two years. Then on the third year, everything gets recertified. So you're looking at everything again. And so there are times, you know, there are, they're required by IAF and the document is called IAF MD5. And there's an annex in the back of it for quality management systems. And it says, here's the number of people, here's the amount of time, this is your estimate. Um, and if anyone's more interested, I'm glad to have you that I provide that free of charge. Um, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of if you tell me the number of employees, I can pretty much tell you the certification cost. Um, and I'm happy to do that. Um, but it does, it is dependent on a couple of different things. That in, that being said, certification costs, you take 13, let's say, or ISO 9001, $1,200 a day for a regular organization. Let's just say a 30 employee organization. You're probably looking at three days for a stage two audit and then one day for a stage one, so four days, about $4,800. And then for each of the years, they tack on a $500 charge, which is administration fees or whatever they call them, but it's the same thing. Um, and then the following year, it wouldn't be $4,800. It would be more like $2,400 um, that you'd go through. And then it'd be 24 the next. And then again, it would be not quite 4,800, but it would be darn close uh, that third year again. So that's the basic premise that it takes. In addition to that, so we'll go back to the, the actual cost of implementing. Your cost of implementing, again, is directly proportional to the number of employees that you have. Um, because the more employees, the more harder it is to track them all down, to get all the systems working, to get everyone compliant to it. Um, but in general, it really depends on how long and how much effort you want your, you know, whatever your resources are to get into it. Um, for me, when I do it, I'm really looking at, you know, how many employees, what's the scope, um, you know, how much do I need to be on site? How much can be remote? How much can my team help with? Um, you know, a lot of the, the skill sets um, that I try to leverage are, you know, there's designing your system so that in the end you pay less year over year. You're not, you're not paying for another person. Um, and as you go through it, you know, the question that I, that links directly to this is how long is this going to take? Right. And that's, that's typically where it comes into is that it generally takes 30 days, working days to implement ISO 9001, which means if you really need ISO in 30 days, you can be compliant. That requires though, that every person in the organization is primarily committed to implementing ISO 9001. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, even when you really need it, you know, you can't get that the production manager to say, oh, sure, I'll help do that with you. Don't worry about production. It's fine. Yeah, that's not how it works. So the reality is that these timelines generally extend to be, well, is it over three months? Three months is no problem. Six months is definitely much more leisurely. Um, and you can go up to say, hey, our strategic vision for this year is 12 months, right? And the amount that impacts your spend cost for me, right? Do you, what do you need me to do? You know, do you need me to do everything you know, to, to implement the system, to get it ready? Or you just need me to come in and, and bounce ideas off of and, and go through it with. And so you have to be very upfront with what you need. When I typically work with clients, I provide them with a worry-free soup to nuts, beginning to end. You know, I'll go in there, gap audit analysis, how much, it, you know, what does it look like? What do we need to do? Um, and then it goes through to the point where you're looking at all the things we identify need to fix. I'll help you fix them. I'll help you implement a quality system that actually benefits your organization. So what does your owner actually care about? 
does anybody know what you're working towards? Does anyone know why he gets upset at the end of the quarter and nobody realizes that, you know, I worked with one client and it turns out the president had a report, they had a bank loan. If they didn't make a certain amount of revenue, they likely could have had the, you know, the, the cert pulled or, you know, the loan pulled. And you know, it's like, well, now that makes a lot of sense. Well, that's in, everyone's working towards the same goal now, right? To the point where you're integrating all these things to the point where now you don't have to have any particular person managing them. They're part of everyday business. Mm-hmm. We're always looking at the stuff. We're always doing the stuff. I don't have to make up numbers before I have an audit. We've been working on them all year. I just have to know what they were. Sounds good. And so for that particular end of it, um, you know, I typically charge around $1,500 a day. If you want me to come in, do expertise, talk about in the field and really, and that's as far as the skill set of implementing, designing, developing that management system that will help you and make you better. Um, if you're focused on more like just a support function, like you just want internal audits, then we typically charge similar to the registrars. It's $1,200 a day. Um, it's much more technical in basis. And if you want everything, um, I actually try to roll those up into project costs. It really depends on the number of employees, the type of, you know, the, the business that you're in, the industry, what requirements are your customers flowing down that you, you know, that I probably know maybe better than you do. Um, so, you know, I can kind of predict ahead of those. So I try to get project cost too, just to provide a budgeting number so that you don't get surprised. Uh, but if you want just daily support as you go through it, that's certainly works too. Um, so again, uh, when I do it, it's looking to be to meet the needs of the customer and what they're looking to do with it. Um, variable support, full support, whatever it could be, technical assistance, and going from there. Now, do you go into the same customer more than once? I mean, I could see a situation where somebody has to get ISO certified relatively early on in their business, yep. and they maybe have 10 employees, and then they're, but they're growing, and they're getting more customers, and they get up to 50 employees, and 50 is a much different organization than 10 employees, and they probably need more processes, et cetera. Do you, do you have to go back in? How does that work? Yep. Um, so the way that I typically manage that is that my business model uh, is set up to support and empower small businesses. So it is my goal that when a company gets told you have to be ISO certified for whatever reasons, ownership tells you that, your customers tell you that, your bank says that before you get a loan, whatever the case is, that you actually implement a system that helps you. Okay. Once you're certified, there are annual, they come, the, you know, the register come in and check you annually. And what I typically like to set up with clients is every quarter is will be, will be either on site physically or remotely. It really depends on what their preference is to do what's called a management review. So take a look at all the metrics to make sure at the end of the year, they don't surprise you. But also during that time is the, the input from management. You're getting in typically in small businesses, everybody that has input in the company and you're even getting the president to admit or agree to whatever is actually important at that particular time. So that come three months later, you're like, oh, okay, did we hit the goal or do we miss the goal? And you're like, well, uh, we missed it and we're actually doing these things already. Well, great, now you have a record of that mm-hmm. versus you, you wait until once a year right before the audit and you're like, man, what were our goals? I don't know, did we hit it? No, we failed. What are we doing? I didn't even know we were working on that. Sounds good, all right, good luck guys. <laughs> and and what that, what that uh, follow through really does is it, it manages, it allows someone, so again, like myself, who has an understanding of the quality system. And you can see as companies grows, um, 
I have a client who started out with six employees. We actually had to run the production lines to make trial material during the implementation or during the certification audit because they didn't have production orders that they could run at that time yet to get certified, right? So six people running machines, just enough to get through. And that organization is well over 40 people now. And every three months, it's something different, right? It's, you know, for maybe the first year, they're pretty good, but things are moving a little bit. Hey, these customers are bigger. This one, oh my goodness, I didn't think this would ever come up. And as those come up, you just tweak and refine the tools. And what that does is allows for a maturity of their quality system to grow to what they need it to be. Um, that's when you start having argue, you know, discussions about, wow, I, you know, this metric is very modular. It's either, you know, it's step function, it's good. It's, you know, once we get above a certain number, it's bad versus a scalable metric. Well, what percent of sales does that represent? What percent of sales are we okay with? When you're new, the answer is none, <laughs> you know, and when you're larger, the answer is a little bit. <laughs> How much is a little bit? Exactly. It depends on your business, your brand, your image, your customers, the market, the, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that. And so that tool that we have used is one required by ISO anyway, we utilize it for continual growth and monitoring of our clients along the way and supplement them in any way that they need. Sometimes you need to develop another process, refine a process, define responsibility, split responsibilities, whatever it is, so that it actually reflects the organization. And just to be clear, most of those organizations are grown to, you know, whatever size, and they maybe have a quality inspector. They don't need a quality supervisor, quality manager, a quality whatever's to manage their ISO. It's in the business. The operators are responsible for measurements. You know, the reporting is through production. The purchasing is through the, the buyers. And then they can, you know, take all that data up and say, how are we doing? Really well. That looks good. Moving on. <laughs> and, and if they had a problem during any particular day, they're already working on it. And the metrics will reflect that and be like, hey, that makes sense. So. And this has been a, a great primer on an area that a lot of companies are getting into areas and this is going to affect them and they wouldn't otherwise know about it. Uh, I, I think this is uh, one of those one of those podcasts that'll be reviewed years later as people discover, uh, oh, hey, this is something I should know about. Um, so what, before we wrap up and, and before I, I make sure that we give you a chance to plug everything, what, uh, is there anything else you think people should know beyond what we've already gone over? Yeah. Um, what, I guess the one thing that I want people to know is that the reason I got into the business I am in today is that I, I've had a lot of experience as you know on the front lines. Uh, you know, I've been a quality engineer responsible for, you know, the internal audits, the corrective actions, the uh, you know the, you know the, everything that you can think of, uh, non-conforming material management review, um, you know, MRB review stuff like that. And then as a as a manager of a department where you're responsible for maintaining a certification and also allocating resources. How are we going to do internal audits this year? Can I pull someone from that job? You know, what does it actually mean? And oh, by the way, sales, what if I lose it? What does that really matter? Whoa, don't do that. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, you know, and then also as, you know, I had an opportunity as a director of quality with multi-site responsibility, it was the strategy of these systems. And why would you go for, why would you go for one 
quality system versus another. ISO 9001 is like the base model. Um, and then you get in different industries for AS9100, you add on top of it. ISO 1345 for medical, you add on top of it. There's stuff for the automotive market. There's stuff for special processors. And there's a few other ones out there even. What do you choose? What, is it, what does it mean? Why would you go to it? Um, I worked for many years where we made evacuation slide fabrics for aircraft. That's aerospace. We didn't maintain AS9100 certification though. We said, look, it was my responsibility to say, what portion of the business does this represent for us? If we went all in and got certified, would we get more business? Or are we okay just dealing every year with that customer coming on site? Two customers, three customers. At what point is the pain point so high? You're already doing all the work. You might as well get certified and then get full, like full credit, full advertising and sales credit internationally for that. That's a really good question. And I'll tell you, there's no great way to know that. And what I've been able to find is that that it's really important to have an understanding of where you want to go, but also when you get there or where you're going, how are you actually going to make it regional, reasonable? How are you going to make it so the guy on the floor can help you get where you want to go? How does he know what it is you're shooting for? Um, and, and those things are really important. If you decide to get into a, into, into a certification scheme, you know, you have to be realistic about it. You can't just say, guess what? We're getting certified. I wrote new procedures. Good luck, guys. Here you go. And you can do that. And that's historically what a lot of companies did. But that's not the reality of today's world. And what I want to say more than anything, what I really want people to take away from this is I grew up in a fifth generation family business. My father, it's been a wood planing mill, wood sawmill for five generations since 1895. When we got through all of those things, when I grew up from the age of nine to graduated school, I know that small businesses do the right thing. You can't afford not to. And if you have a small business and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to deal with ISO, ISO 9001, AS9100, ISO 1345, if as the owner of that company, you are confident that your organization will make a good product and will meet your customer's needs and work exactly the way they want it to work in the, in the application they need it for, you've done the hard part. That is the hard part. Everything else can be translated, can be revised, can be tweaked just a little bit. You shouldn't change something you know is working to go somewhere that you wanna go. You should tweak it. It's a maturity, it's a, it's a, it's a notch, it's half a degree. And if you do it in a way that benefits and works with your business, it won't disrupt you, it will empower you, and it will allow you to overcome the obstacles that you see in front of you. You'll be certified, you can now participate in those RFQs and those whatever business. You get certified, you can be now in that industry, you can have those conversations. You, the certification unlocks a door that you can get into in more cases than not, that's why people get it. But not only unlocking a door, it, that, that gap from where you are to where you need to be is not as bad as you think it is. And the results after the fact don't have to look as onerous as you may think they do. You can go from here and realize that you're actually here. And over the next three months, you're going to get here. And then we're going to raise the bar to here. And that is achievable. And and that incremental approach is really helpful. 
And I just really want to get to the, get through is that if you're a small business and you're making good stuff and you're darn sure that your customers are happy, getting ISO certified isn't, isn't out of this world. And, and that's why I got into the business because I saw too many businesses say, this is too much. I can't do it. I can't overcome it. They don't have the, the knowledge in the, you know, of the awareness of the quality systems of how to build ones that benefit themselves. They just think it's too much. I can't do it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sell, I'm going to, you know, fold up shop. I'm just going to retire whatever it is. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and so that's, that's what I really want people to know more than anything. I am happy answer any questions anyone has about ISO 9001, um, more than happy. Um, and, and whatever they look like, whatever questions, I'll answer anything, full disclosure. So Ben, uh, in that vein, anybody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do it? Uh, so a couple different ways. Uh, we have a website. So the company goes ISOPRO. The website is isopro.us, I-S-O-P-R-O.us. Or you can email me, benjamin at isopro.us. Uh, that's the best way. Uh, we also have a number that you can call. It is 1-866-ISO-PROS. There's a, a theme there. Um, that number is 866-476-7767 if you need. I had to write it down because I can't always remember to translate that in my head. Um, <laughs> but certainly, again, more than anything, what I'm looking to do is you know, empower small businesses to be competitive in the global market where a lot of times, if you don't have those certifications, it's a it can be a pretty big detriment to your business. Don't let that be a detriment. You know, it's not inachievable. It's not out of the out of reach. Um, and you know, I would love to help you get there. But honestly, I don't care if I'm the one who gets you there. I want you to know that it is achievable in, in however different way you do it. So, Ben, that's fantastic. Thanks, thanks very much for coming on today. And. Uh, we are going to put links to all of Ben's information in the notes. So uh, in addition to what you've just heard, if you want to reach out to Ben and you somehow forgot what ISOPRO is, you can go in the notes and click there. Um, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give us a rating. And we will, if you haven't enjoyed this podcast, do not give us a rating, just ignore it. And uh, otherwise, uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. But uh, Ben, thanks. Really appreciate it, man. Yes, Dave, thank you very much. I really appreciate being on and uh, you know, I, I value what you're doing very, very much. Thank you for everything you're doing. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. See you next week.